Welcome to episode 47 of Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind. Over here is your co-host Russ on this mic and on that mic it's... And this mic is Mike. Mike on the mic. We're getting close to 50. 50 episodes, yeah. yeah. We're also getting close to our one year anniversary. That's right. Which I believe was the first one we put up was February 15th. And I remember we recorded on February 11th because it was a national holiday in Japan. It was that uh, foundation day, I think, right? February 11th in yeah. Japan. We're going to have to yeah. uh, do something special to celebrate. Yeah, we're going to have to do that, like a yeah. live a live recording. We live should recording. we should do like a, we I don't think we can do this yet, but we should do like a you know live stream so people can comment while we're talking. Oh. But I don't think we have enough listeners for that. They wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I when think you people need video listen. for that. Yeah. One year, you know what we should do? We should just go on YouTube and have a video set up and just do a video episode. I don't want to do that every week, but we could do one one or two of them. We could do that. That'd be cool. We can do live stream uh, on Podbean too. They have live uh, live streaming episodes. We could do. Um, yeah, we, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it, but I don't yeah, know. we'll I don't see what see, happens. I don't see people like uh, you know, kind of sending us uh, messages to uh, while we're actually talking. Yeah, know? I don't know. We could have a call-in episode, too. But oh, boy. Who knows? What kind of weirdos listen to this music? I don't know. Yeah, I know, it's right? kind of scary. Don't worry. Yeah. None of you is weirder than us. Actually, that's not true. There are. I've met people weirder than me. <laughs> <laughs> almost every day. Yeah, almost every day. Yeah. Right. So tonight we've got an uh, interesting mix of things, as always, in the classical and jazz categories. Interesting. Yes. Yes. Good word. Uh, covering, uh, well... Baroque. Lots of we're centuries. all Baroque today. Lots of yeah, centuries we're all this week, and though, countries. Yeah, all Baroque. Uh, but yeah. before we get uh, into the music, uh, remind all of our listeners again, or any new listeners, in our episode description, you'll find links for everything, almost everything this week, because there's one that's not available on streaming uh, as of yet. But everything that is, uh, we'll provide links for Spotify and Apple Music. Uh, and also at the top of the description, there's a link to the full episode playlist, and that's uh, all the music in one place on our preferred streaming platform, Deezer, uh, where you can also follow us on the podcast at username Adult Music Podcast. If you can't see any of the links uh, clearly or they don't work on your particular platform, come over and check out our site on our host, Podbean. Uh, just look for adult music there and everything's neat and tidy and easy to follow. If you enjoy the podcast, please follow or subscribe on whatever app or platform you listen to us on. If you take a moment to give us a ranking or write a short review, that will help us get listed in the browsing category recommendations and that in turn helps us get new listeners, grow our audience. And we'd appreciate that. And if you have any questions or comments you want to get in touch with us directly, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Yeah. Well, you know, we're already um, almost uh, finished with the first month of 2022, and there still aren't really any... I looked ahead to next week's releases. There really still isn't anything really great coming out in classical music. I have heard already the first great classical recording of the year, and uh, I'll just give you a, a, a heads up on this. We'll be talking about this in future weeks, definitely. Um, is um, CPE box piano music uh, played by Mark Andre Amlan on the uh, Hyperion label? So if you want to get a head start, check that out. It's really great playing. 
but we'll have more about to say about that in coming weeks, probably either next week or two weeks from now. I haven't really okay. decided yet. Right. Depends on, we, we have to kind of make a plan and see what's yeah. going, coming. But for now, the thing is, but aside from that, I haven't looked ahead to February, the beginning of February, because there are usually a lot of new releases then. There's some, there are one or two good things coming from Hyperion at, on January 28th. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I haven't really looked too far ahead, but January has been not such a great month of, for classical music releases. It really hasn't been anything terribly interesting. How about jazz? Is anything good coming yeah, so far? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's uh, been coming out uh, on uh, the 7th, 14th, uh, 21st, and some oh, wow. more stuff coming out on the 28th, too. So, unfortunately, uh, and I don't know if this is like virus-related or something, there are a lot of releases that were supposed to come out on the 21st right. but they're not available yet uh so i don't know uh some promises weren't delivered which was making me angry this weekend as i was trying to uh check out yeah. some things on my list but i still got some uh, things from last uh yeah the last the, fall the closing months out, of so. last year yeah i've right. still got a lot of those too and in fact today's episode is basically i have such a backlog of baroque recordings i tend to get a lot of right. them because i i like listening to baroque music in the morning even though i haven't been doing that lately because we've been so busy yeah. <laughs> at work and stuff yeah but uh so i have so many of these that we haven't talked about that are really really either good or at least interesting right that i want to uh, put them on so i've chosen three baroque uh, recordings for this particular episode um there'll be more of these too i guess we should do some baroque themed episodes since i i like this music so much and i know that from my experience that um you know people who want to get into classical music who don't really know much about it baroque is generally the best place to start them off because it's generally pretty cheerful music yeah it, the structure is easy to follow yeah. And the uh, non-vocal music has like a motor rhythm and people tend to like that because it's like pop music and rock and roll is sort of like that too. You know, right. it doesn't like, you know, change like tempo or anything like that. Yeah. So it's good to do Baroque. Anyway, I think maybe it will draw a lot of listeners too. We'll have to see. All right. You ready to get into these? Let's dive in. All right. The first, <laughs> the first one that I have is by a French ensemble it's four women two vocalists and two instrumentalists who call themselves Le Capsper Girls hmm doesn't sound very right. French and the title of the album is Vous avez dit brunette it's a question alright and this is on the Alpha label okay and, uh, and when every time something like this comes out and it's on the Alpha label you just know it's gonna at least be interesting it may not be a project that uh, succeeds. We've heard a few recordings on the Alpha Label on this podcast that we talked about that really didn't appeal to us. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I still think they were worth hearing because uh, they're just so interesting. That's the, they come up with yeah, interesting ideas, and well, uh, they're not. It's it's not like uh, you know. As you know, it, they're never awful. Like you know, for example, yeah. like Kenny G playing with a tabla player or something. Like that. <laughs> Don't even say that. Let's, let's erase. I'm going to go back and erase that just in case. Once spoken into existence, I just, I just uh, want our listeners to know how bad it can be. Right? <laughs> Think about that. Next time you listen to music you don't like, yeah. you could be listening to Kenny G playing with a tabla player. Um, well, I knew something was just going to be a interesting uh, concept album for this one uh, when. Uh, uh, you know, you've got a 
uh, ensemble of four ladies. Uh, yeah. And they're um, all young. They're all pretty young too. They're all co- fairly young. By the picture, and, they look um, like thirties well, yeah. maximum. Yeah, fairly <laughs> young. And then uh, what does this uh, translate? Uh, did you say brunettes? Yeah, I it's think, like. Right? Uh, all right, yeah, this is going to take a little unpacking. Let me just explain. But, but where, where I was going with that before okay, is when you look yeah. on the cover art, uh, the ladies uh, are not you, featured you're there. Sti- so, you're stealing um, my fire no, you're, gonna, You can tell what it – I'll leave the explanation to you. Yeah, before we get to the music, this is going to take a little unpacking. Okay, first of all, the title, Vous avez dit brunette? It, it, it's kind of like uh, – I didn't really prepare any, an example for this, but like if it's like when somebody said, um, you know – let's say I have like a I have a large collection of books in my house you know and uh, so I have a big pile of them that I kind of want to get rid of and if somebody were to say gee you know I really could use a book to read and I'd go up to them and say did someone say books you know and then I right. show them all these ridiculous amount of books I have it's that kind of joke all right. right that's what the title means because okay well a brunette it turns out I didn't even know this I read the uh, the booklet note and it was a real it's been a very educational week for me. A brunette, which means brown-haired, of course, a brunette, a person with brown hair, um, it turns out is a genre of music within Baroque music, which is uh, about shepherds and shepherdesses, all right? Need a little history here. Um, there was a whole genre of songs that are about shepherds, who are falling in love with shepherdesses or the shepherdess loves the shepherd, but he doesn't return her love. And As long as it wasn't the, the sheep. Yeah, it wasn't. They never got into that. That's a 20th century development, I think, okay. in music, or, or at least 19th century when they got into all <laughs> these like extreme emotions in, in opera. I'm kind of... <laughs> it's too bad nobody too uh, did bad. that one. That, yeah, bad. That, it actually, in, in Woody Allen's movie, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex, there is... Uh, a sodomy episode, oh. not not sodomy between people, but uh, a Cut, man we're going to lose our clean rating. We'll have to yeah, uh, a clean rating for this. But oh, I can't just say, say that, that. The, the sheep are featured on the album cover. That's where I was going, right? Yeah. yeah so. Okay. Now the cover. I don't know if this is really the worst album cover I've ever seen, or if it deserves some kind of special award <laughs> because it's one of these. It's it's certainly unique. It'll jump out at you if you're in a record store and it just happens to be on display. It's sort of like one of those like 1960s band albums where you have like the the four photos like on each corner of the album, except that instead of people, and there are four women in this group, but instead of that, we see four sheep right. staring out at us um, with uh, tags on their ears or whatever. Um, mm. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Make of that what you will. Mm. Boy, I'm glad I don't have this on vinyl. Can and, you imagine having like this, yeah. that, that a big image? And not yeah. only that, but mm. I'm sure you're going to explain. Uh, they're featured in the recording, too. Yeah. The, we <laughs> the hear sheep, that ambient is. Not, sheep. Not the, not the women, of course, but the sheep, yeah. Well, the women are featured yeah. on the recording, too. Yeah. But, ambient uh, the, sheep noises. Yeah, that's a good there word. There are ambient <laughs> sheep noises and sheep bells that kind of fade in and out every once in a while once in on a the while, recording. Yeah. It's They're really setting that pastoral mood. Pastoral mood, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Now, why shepherd songs and sheep songs? Why is this even a genre? This is pretty interesting. Um, first of all, the, the album, the, the, the name Brunette comes from a refrain from a song by uh, Christophe Ballard. In his 1703 collection, Brunette ou Petit Air Tendre, Volume 1. And in the uh, song, 
one of the lyrics is, Ah, petit brumette, ah, tu me fais mourir, which means, oh, little brunette woman, uh, you make me die. Okay, I'm dying of love for you, that kind of thing. Okay. So uh, the name, because the song was so famous, people just kind of took that name brunette out of the song and they called this genre, this type of song, a, a brunette. Like, oh, they, you know, this guy just wrote a brunette. Okay, it's about a song about shepherds. Okay, well, what was it about shepherds that was so uh, fascinating to Baroque-era people? Well, it was Baroque-era aristocrats and, like, the king's retinue in, in France and all that who loved, who had this um, really romantic, I guess, um, image of shepherds. Because these people, they were all, like, powerful and rich. And they all had, it wasn't like they were idle rich. They had all these um sort of... um activities they had to do um we we hear about this sort of thing for example in the japanese royal family like they they're always having to like do these sort of social like, ceremonies yes. and yeah all these things and i think it kind of they get a little um upset about that i guess and they kind of saw shepherds lives as being carefree they were just out in the mountains with nothing to do except watch sheep and flirt with the shepherd girls and vice versa. Um, of course, that's not the reality, but that's the way the mind works. You always think that the um, the other side has it better. Um, and in fact, Marie Antoinette, I don't know if you knew this, she actually had a, uh, on the uh, grounds of, um, uh, geez, <laughs> where, where they were there in, in France. It's, the name is like, just slipped my mind because I'm old. But uh, she had a little like uh, shepherd's hut with sheep in it there so that she could dress as a shepherd and pretend she was a shepherd when she was getting all uh, upset with the tedious life of the court. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then things... And I bet she wished she was a shepherd when she found out... Shepherdess when she found out what was going to happen to her later. Yeah. But mm. anyway, there was that. So these these songs were very popular um, at, at the court. Okay. Um, I should mention also the Capsburg Girls are named after Giovanni Girolamo Capsberger, who was a lutenist and the uh, leader of this, the director of this group is uh, Alban Imes. She plays the, uh, I, all different kinds of plucked uh, string instruments, including a lute, arch lute, theorbo, baroque guitar, and a tiorbino, which I don't even know what that is. I should look that up. Hmm. Okay. Oh, Versailles is the word I couldn't think of before. Oh, right, Versailles. Uh, because uh, I don't don't remember anything anymore. <laughs> I'm I'm old before I know it. Um, anyway, let's move on. Um, they're strophic songs, so they just kind of continue. They're not like you know regular songs uh, with a chorus or anything like that. Although some of them have choruses. Um, so Arcadian subject matter. Um, there are even characters that recur. Uh, Tirsus is uh, one of them. He comes from Greek mythology, and he's mentioned by Virgil as well, the Roman poet. And he represents the charming, valorous shepherd of Baroque pastoral literature. And uh, he loves beautiful, intelligent Phyllis, Iris, or Chloris. Okay? And they're kind of elites among shepherds. They're smart. They're suffering for love and all this nonsense. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> all right and uh the phyllis iris and chloris they're all like they're shepherdesses they're also mythological nymphs um 
things like that. Then there's Colin, who is uh, Tyrsus's lower class equivalent. He's sometimes salacious, and he's sometimes naive. He's like being hit on by these shepherd women, and oh, what's happening here? Why is this new? What are these new feelings? That kind of thing, you know. And he's at times he has doubtful morals, and he's seduced by Nanette, Lizette, or Margot, who's also known as Margoton in some songs. All right, so that's your cast of characters in these songs. All right, so there it is. Uh, we've broken this down. Let's get to the music now. First, the thing we hear is sheep sounds. And we, as soon as you put the albums in, they fade in. You hear the bells. Yep. You hear the sheep. And there you are, are out in the field, stepping in sheep dip. And um, people don't mm. think about those things, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and the whole sheep thing. Okay, and we start with Colin. The, the song is called Colin Dizois à sa bergère. Uh, Colin, the lower class shepherd, I guess, uh, said to his... Um, his uh, shepherd woman, um, he's reprimanding her for being so brutal with him. Okay, the vocals are in a comic mode. Okay, they're kind of harsh, and uh, there's a hard, shrill tone to them. Uh, don't let that turn you off, because there's going to be proper singing later. This is more comic singing. Um, the sound of the vocals is like the opposite of the Josquin recording we heard last week. They're right up front. Uh, maybe yeah. a little too up front, but uh, they're very clear, and... Uh, they're good voices too they're not you know the technique is really good so i mean you're going to hear every imperfection in the voice at this um with the presence of this recording and they're just not there they 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 perform really well okay we're going to go on to the second track sur cette charmante rive um this is from the shepherdess's point of view and her name is phyllis so she's hitting on I guess Colin, but Tiersis is mentioned in this song. Uh, Phyllis is thinking of a tryst with a shepherd, but not Tiersis because Tiersis is too noble. Uh, the vocals soften in tone here. So, okay, so we get some proper singing. You can hear the beauty of the voice here. Although, again, like I said, it's very close. And the third track, this is another um, brunette. Uh, Je ne veux plus aimer rien. Iris has upset the shepherd in the song, and he wants nothing to do with tenderness. He's running away. He's just going to hang out with his sheep. Uh, this one sounds very pastoral. The vocals are light and attractive. And for the second verse, um, which is composed by the ensemble, it's kind of a new verse, we go into a new rhythm, 3-4, and then back into 4-4 four, four for the chorus. Kind of a nice little touch. All right, so basically, all of these songs are going to be very similar, and a lot of variety is going to have to be introduced in the... Um, instrumentation and the vocals and the approach and uh, they do quite a good job of maintaining interest throughout this recording of what could be songs that all sound more or less the same um we go on um do i want to go through all these i don't know there are a lot of they're they're very short these songs yeah. and um similar in tone um we have track four uh, by an actual composer here. The, the first three tracks were anonymous. René Gerard Dubosset wrote this one, Danse Bouvalon. And in this one, um, there's a uh, shepherdess preoccupying the shepherd. It's a charming, pretty pastoral tune. Track five, Jean-Marie Leclerc writes this track, uh, which sounds a little tipsy and uh, slightly teetering in the rhythm. A rustic dance directly follows on the previous uh and then there's vocalizing over this rustic dance. Um, the next track is an anonymous one. Où est vous allez, mes belles? Where did you go? Uh, my beautiful ones. Um, the ambient sheep sounds come back here. 
And this is a slower song. It speeds into the kind of spinning dance rhythm. Fresh and appealing. The lute in this piece is very attractive. A very welcome timbre. Timbre. Sorry. What am I saying? I'm, I'm still in French mode here. Um, I should say the voices on this. Okay, they're up front. They're very bright and present. Very little reverb. Um, not they're not singing outdoors. That's for sure. I also like that the group director is playing all different instruments on each track. It's kind of cool. Um, right. This one sounds like. Uh, what do we say on this one? No, I don't. I didn't write it down. Okay, but the the sounds change. There's a lot of baroque guitar. We hear the lighter sounding arch lute, and um, the deeper theorbo at times too. Okay, Giuseppe Sagione comes next, so it sounds Italian. Uh, he's playing a. He writes a dotted dance rhythm here. Um, the narrator in this song, obviously a Colin, makes love for a laugh only. I, actually, it's a shepherdess actually singing this song. Sorry, it's not Colin. It's a woman. Uh, she's just making love for a laugh, but I'm game uh, for that. The harmony is scattered, and the two voices enter in canon at times, which is kind of interesting. Another variety. Next, we have a woman. Julie Pinel wrote a song here, Bocage Frais. Uh The shepherdess hears her lover singing at a distance, and she's longing for him. Um, a name I've heard before, track 9, Elizabeth Jacquet de la Guerre. Um, Le Rosignol, dès que le jour commence. Okay, Rosignol is a nightingale, and uh, we hear um, ambient bird song in this one, so no sheep. Uh, and we can still hear it as the instrumental solo begins. It doesn't fade out. Um, this is a gently lilting tune. Uh, the first verse is sung solo, and it's very charming. I liked the song a lot. Oh, oh. I'm going to use a lot this word a lot for this recording. Charming. It's a very charming album, really. The second verse is gently harmonized. Uh, the birds and flocks are innocent, the, the lyrics say, so their love is never harsh. And so the vocalist envies them because human beings are terrible. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it doesn't say that in the song. I'm just adding that. Okay. This sounds like the kind of woman who's going to like you know, collect cats or something because they're better than people or something like that. Anyway, oh, no. Jean-Baptiste Dupuis. Uh, this is a Saraband, and this is the first um, instrumental track on the record, on track 10. Um, it sounds like the viol... Now, I should mention, I've been mentioning the uh, director playing all these plucked string instruments, but there's also a bass viol and a viol on mm. this album too, a bowed instrument, an early version of the violin. It's a lot heavier, it's a lot heavier sounding. And the sound isn't as focused. It kind of, the the kind of freak. It tends to spread a lot. I actually like the sound of yeah, it a I lot. Like it. Um, there's some light sort of baroque guitar or theorbo um, accompaniment holding down the harmony. It's lightish, but the viol always sounds sad to me. Even though this seems to be a well, Saraband is kind of a sad dance anyway. It's kind of a sad tune. Okay, we have a guitar opening on the next track, track 11. J'avais cru qu'en vous aimant. I believed in loving you. That, dot, dot, dot. The lament relates how the shepherdess thought that loving the shepherd, she would have been charmed. But no, she's not. For the object of her love does not love her back. Oh, how this, this is, this is just time from time immemorial. This has been <laughs> going on, huh? Oh, eternal, eternal, eternal feelings here. Track 12, Nicolas L'Endormi, Le Desmer. This is a rondeau. And this is a uh, an instrumental. Uh, oh no, sorry. Yeah, it's an instrumental piece. Sad in tone, very pretty and appealing. Track thirteen, Jacques Naudet. 
this is um, a varité severe, Margoton. So we have Margot or Margoton in this song. Uh, we hear some percussion for the first time. And a severe and sort of comic voice reprimands Margoton. So it's a male um, character. Women are singing it. Uh, for playing light with his heart. She accuses him of the same. And the entire piece is percussion accompaniment. Kind of an interesting little departure from what we've been hearing. Uh, the 14th uh, track, Non, non, je n'irai, I will not go. This tender song with two voices narrates how the shepherdess was defenseless when the shepherd came upon her. Ooh, this would, he'd be me too in the uh, in current right. times. Um, she wants to leave because she feels she may get interested in the shepherd. Okay, so this is a ba- this is basically a 200-year-old version of um, Baby, It's Cold Outside. <laughs> 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 anyway, track 15. Amable Rosignol. Uh, lovable or Rose- Nightingales. More sheep sounds. We've got to be reminded that we're in a. Right. That we're, we're in around fields. shepherds here. Uh, this one's a cappella, the first time on the album, I believe. Uh, spring has returned, but the shepherdess Selimen has not, and the shepherd laments. Uh, some enjoyably jarring momentary harmonies in this one. This is one of those things where there's a held note and it's just got some a jarring harmony that just hurts so good. I just love that. Track 16. Vu qui scave si... Or save. That C is like a CD on the bottom. Vu qui save si bien. This is like an old old French anonymous composer. This is accompanied by the bass viol and the lower voice the lower of the two women, um, complains that the shepherdess is insensitive to his love. Uh, the second verse features vocal harmony. Track 17, Anonymous, Le Beau Berger, Tircis. Okay, so Tircis is uh, mentioned by name in this one. He's the noble shepherd. Uh, this is the tune that the genre gets its name from. Okay, so vous, you know, brunette. It's called a brunette because that line that I told you about at the beginning appears in this song. Um, it's this song has a bit of a rhythmic bounce to it, very appealing. That's track seventeen. In case you want to hear how it all began, really. I mean, there were Shepherd songs before that, but that's where it got its name from. <laughs> track eighteen is by a composer named, I'm guessing Nicolas Otman, but in English you'd pronounce that Hot, hot man. man. Don't you wish that was your <laughs> yeah. last name? Hot oh, man. Hot Man. He there must be. Uh, <laughs> Must be something to this guy, all right? Line up, ladies. Line up, ladies. To I am Mr. Hot, hot man. man. Okay. Here he's playing a Chacon. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I can't believe this. Chacon. This is a Chacon uh, repeating bass line, right? With uh, variations over it. Um, this is an easy on the ear piece for the arch lute or some kind of lute. I'm guessing it's an arch lute with its catchy bass note on one and chord on two rhythm, which is then soloed over. Very pretty. Okay, so it's done. Dun. It's kind of like the Gymnopédie by Satie, that mm. sort of rhythm. All right, the, the um, track 19, Anonymous, Nicolas Vavois Jeanne. Uh, he's going to go see Jeanne, his, his woman. A charming French melody as Nicolas goes to see Jeanne, who refuses him. Hmm. There are some nice vocal effects to put some of the words across. Very clever and appealing. It's a comic tone you know why i I really want 
two of these people to get it on. I guess they just didn't like when that happened in the song, you know? <laughs> I mean, these days, that's what would happen. But, uh, well, maybe not now, but when we were younger anyway. I don't know. They like uh, unrequited love here in these um, art songs. Something to sing about. Right. Yeah, something to be to complain about, really, I guess. Okay, the next uh, track is attributed to Robert de Visset, who's a really well-known lute or guitar or bro guitar uh, composer. Uh, it's called La Villanelle, and there's some sheep sounds with bells at the beginning, then the, instrument, the instrumental work. Very pretty. I like his music a lot. Mm. You should check him out anyway. Devise. Robert Devise. Next, Julie Pinel again. Pourquoi le berger qui m'engage? Uh, why the uh, shepherd that uh, talks to me or whatever. Harmony and accompanied by guitar. The woman is worried that the man isn't interested in her. <laughs> These <laughs> themes are really kind of pretty common. Anyway. Track 22. Well, we're just going on. There are 26 tracks. Bear with me. We're almost there. Giuseppe Sagione again. Quand je veux boire avec ma maîtresse. When I want to drink with my uh, with my woman. Uh, so this is a drinking song with guitar accompaniment. And the man has Cupid, the, uh, the Greek character in the song. He says, Cupid served the wine. And he changes the reason for the drinking. He doesn't want to get drunk. He wants to uh, get it on. This is a fun, appealing song. Some amusing humor in the harmonization, which plays with the text. Very nice. Track 23, Anonymous, Je vous dis que je vous aime. Je vous aime. Um, in this case, uh, Tirsus, the noble shepherd, is the singer. And the song is rather serious. He sings to Clemen, asking who knows how best to love. Uh, Clemen responds in kind. She doesn't know either. She uh, cons she constrains him, uh, Tirsus says, and then she complains that she's saving herself for him, and he doesn't appreciate it. And it ends happily. They get together. They kind of work out their differences. Um, and I guess make love nobly. I wonder what that would be like. <laughs> anyway. Hmm. Anonymous Contra Dance. This is a um, an instrumental for the Baroque guitar. Beautifully played, lively, dancey quality to this one. I like this one a lot. Track twenty five. Michel Lambert. Rocher. Vous êtes sourd means rocks. You are deaf. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. A lament for the lower voice. The shepherd complains to the rocks that his would be lover Clemen is also a rock who doesn't hear her, hear him. Mm. <laughs> That's a real stretch for the metaphor there. Yeah. All right, track 26, Jean-Philippe Rameau. Okay, uh, Rameau is the first really famous composer on this album. And this is called The Vec du Vent. It's a drinking song. Uh, the Texas very brief drinking song is With wine, let us go to sleep. Avec du vent, endormons-nous. It sounds a little drunken in the harmony and scattering the text between the voices, so it kind of sounds drunken the way it's harmonized. It's not a celebratory ending, but a sleepy one. And we hear the sheep again at the end as I guess we ourselves go to sleep too. Um, again, the word for this album is charming. I liked it. It's certainly unique in the choice of repertoire. I wasn't even aware that Shepherd songs called brunettes was a genre, and I learned that on this album, so I got a little education. Uh, it's beautifully recorded, although I think the voices might be a little too far forward. It didn't bother me, though. I like they were nice-sounding voices. Um, there's a bit of humor and seriousness when required. 
overall, this is an album is light and enjoyable, and it made me smile, certainly. Um, I believe it can lighten one's spirits. So if you're feeling down, this might be a good listen for you. There's a couple of uh, YouTube videos with them no, I didn't see performing these. these tunes. But they're in the oh, forest, actually. Them? Yeah. Oh, really? I'll have yeah. to check that out. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. Um, hmm. I I really enjoyed the, uh, you know, sparseness of uh, just two instruments and two voices. I really like the instruments a lot. Um, the subject matter, you know, this sort of romantic, you know. Well, that's the genre, right? Well, really, genre. So it kind of wears really thin, wears thin it. on me a bit. It does, yeah. It, uh, it definitely does. I I did enjoy some of the vocal performances on some of the more, uh, I guess, uh, less exuberant uh, ones, sort of the lamenting ones uh, I liked. But yeah, pretty. So, some of the more humorous ones, uh, they're a bit too chirpy for me, yeah. and I found them okay. a bit annoying, uh, right. which is about one third of that. those works I didn't care for, the yeah, style the more, of the sort of laughing. Too, laughing. Yeah, the more comic songs kind of annoy me in general, not just right. on this recording, because singers will tend to uh, sing them through like nasally right, to right. get that annoying sound like this, oh, you know, kind of. Sounds like Fran and you get Drescher a little, over there. Wow. Yeah, you get a little <laughs> bit of that. Maybe somebody will hire me as a voice actor. Yeah. But um, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the opera singers will do that for comic effect, but I've always found it annoying. Yeah. Right, you know? And they so those, do it on this album too, a little bit. Those tunes, I, and a few of those come early, so I was kind of like, am, am I going to make it through this? Uh, I don't know. And that combined with the, you know, constant sheep sounds. I was, I was unsure if I was going to enjoy it, but then uh, I found that I actually liked a lot of it uh, mm. uh and um you know, especially the um the uh tracks where uh they can uh, sort of blend the vocals more and i thought there was some kind of nice interplay uh between uh passing off the uh melody between the two vocalists and then as you said some there's some interesting sort of crossing harmonies that happened in some of the tunes that create tension and i found myself drawn to the the uh instrumentation the instrument recordings the lute sounds really good uh the viol has that warm fuzziness to it uh and the clear quality of the recording is good so although i didn't enjoy all of the material uh Overall, uh, I gave it two listens all the way through, and the second time I enjoyed it more. So, uh, as you said, it's a, you kind of a unique uh, genre of Baroque, and we learned something that this is a, a thing, these shepherd kind of songs. So, yeah, uh, I think I yeah. overlooked a lot of those, uh, like more, those more annoying vocal <laughs> tracks just yeah. because I was so interested in the whole genre where it was all going to go, you know? Right. But yeah, um, kind of an interesting but, no, listen. Yeah. And good, um, good work to the ensemble for varying these, you know, providing a lot of variety in different instrumentation and different vocal approaches um, to these songs that really are all sound are going to sound more or less the same right. yeah. if they're played straight. So I really enjoyed that. It was, it, it was good. It was good um, program. Well, good planning, let's say, and yeah. good arranging, shall we say? <clears throat> okay, onwards to. 
Baroque album number two. This is a really beautiful recording of um, works for the viola da gamba uh, by Marais, Marin Marais, and, um, and who? Antoine Forcaret, but this is a little confusing. Let me, I'll get, to, when I get to his music, I'll explain. Um, this is played by um, three soloists, really. Reiner Zipperling on viola da gamba. Ghislaine Waters, also viola da gamba. By the way, that Ghislaine Maxwell trial, her, her name is pronounced Ghislaine. It's a French name. I've heard people on the internet mispronouncing it, wondering how it's pronounced. It's a pretty standard French name. And it would be Ghislaine. Or I guess in English you would say Ghislaine. Okay, if you wanted Ghislaine. to. Gislaine. They say it in Yonkers. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> She's from Yonkers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that sounds like yeah. something the dentist pulls out of your mouth. Oh, he took Ooh. out my Yonkers. You know, I can't believe they uh, <laughs> they call. Where did that? I don't know where that city got its name. I don't I know. know right? Anyone from Yonkers out there? Yeah, uh, want to let us know? I have some we, listeners in Yonkers. We're know. we're interested in history. So yeah. And uh, Peter Jan Belder on the harpsichord. Okay. And All this right, is, this is on the Aeolus label, and it's an SACD if you buy it. So you're going to get that nice DSD sound yeah. that and I, I think like this so is much. The first, um, the first recording we've done on this label. Um, yeah, it is. And uh, so despite searching everywhere, I could not find this available on any streaming service. So yeah. any listeners ah, looking okay. for it, uh, you won't find it on Apple, Spotify, or Deezer. Um, it's actually kind of hard to even find this recording on the Aeolus webpage, but, but I did find it. So I'll put the, I'll put the links uh, from the record label and also uh, Presto Music where you can hear samples. Uh, right. It came out, I think, in September 2021 right. um, or October, around that time. Um, and it's uh, music by Marimere and uh, supposedly yeah. Antoine Fourcaret. This uh, one, and it's called... L'Ange yeah. et le Diable, The Angel and the Devil. This one, uh, the name of the album. you may really want to consider purchasing, uh, even without being able to uh, stream it, to check it out first. Yeah, let's uh, try to describe it. For, I mean, you can't really describe music. It would be nice to be able to sample this. Um, mm -hmm. But um, let's try to convince you, because this is a really beautiful recording. It's beautifully recorded, beautifully played. Um, if anyone out there has seen the movie... Uh, Le Matin du Monde with um, Gerard Depardieu from a long time ago, which is about Marimare and uh, his lessons with uh, Monsieur Saint-Colombe, whose name we really don't know. Uh, the, the instrument featured is the instrument in that movie, the, the viol, the viola da gamba. And so you'll know if you like it by listening to that or really any other viola da gamba music by Marais. Okay, um... This is called uh, L'Ange et le Diable, The Angel and the Devil, because Marais's music was said to be the music of angels by uh, the court of Louis XIV, where he worked. And Fourcaray's was supposedly really difficult to play, so it was like the devil was playing when he uh, played his viola da gamba. Although this, this instrument is nowhere near as acrobatic as you can get with, a, say, a violin or a cello. But... Um, at the time, and you and the Fourcaray works are far more complicated than the Marais. The Marais are really pretty and beautiful, and but they're you know they have substance as well. So I don't want to make it sound like they're light. Okay, um, all of these works by Marais come from his Pièce de Viol Quatrième Livre, the fourth book, uh, published in seventeen seventeen. 
And uh, first we hear the uh, premier suite, the first suite, which is in D minor. And the first thing that struck me in the prelude of this, uh, it's a seven movement uh, suite. Uh, the first comes a prelude. Now these are all like the Bach uh, suites. They're all named after Baroque dances, except for the prelude, okay, which is always just like a, an introduction. Uh, clean recording, the gamba comes out or the, the gambas come out really clearly. And the closely recorded harpsichord has a nice chime to it, too. It's 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 got like a special quality on this record. The recording is really amazing. I uh, thought this was just a f fantastic just for that reason. But the performances are excellent as well. Uh, the continual instrument seems to be a bass on this one. Uh, well, it's, it's the gamba playing low, I guess. It's got a large, deep presence. Uh... There are lots of cadences in this prelude that prove not to be the end of the piece. Like you hear these cadences and you think, oh, it's over. But then it goes on. Yep. <laughs> All right. I was fooled many times into thinking we were going to go to the next track, which is an allemande. Okay. This is fast for an allemande, light dance feel. Uh, the heaviness of the instruments disguises the dance, though, a little bit because they're, they're kind of heavy sounding instruments. Um, a pretty long work. The third movement, La Mignon. Uh, which uh, French composers often gave um, uh, their works like names of um, something that was happening around them or that was popular at the time. Uh, I don't know what this particular thing was. Mignon would be like a, a pretty young woman, I guess. Um, this one has a dance feel to it. I, I wonder if he's probably writing this to someone he about someone he saw at the court or somewhere. Uh, the fourth movement, Caprice, which is, just means like a, a surprise. Um, it's amazing how the instrument gets around at this speed here. It's pretty fast because uh, it's kind of a heavy-sounding instrument. You almost have to let the note um, recede or fade out before you play the next note a little bit because it can become a blur on this kind of instrument. It's got a big sustain for the sound it makes. Um, all notes, though, are well articulated in this. It's an easy piece to follow. Uh, the fifth movement is a menuet, uh, elegant, languorous, brief, and then there's a gigue. Now, usually these works end with a gigue. This is called gigue la petite. Um, probably for some young woman. It's got a E at the end, so it's about a woman. A really well-defined jigue rhythm and a dancing speed. And then we get another movement, a rondeau, which is another dance, um, slower than the gigue. And it speeds up for the middle section and repeats the opening for the end. All right, well, there are two more suites. Deuxième suite and D major comes next, the second suite in that uh, book. Um, just wanted to mention a few things about this. The Prelude has a nice harp-like arpeggiated opening on the harpsichord, which I really enjoyed. Uh, bright melodic theme, sunnier than the preceding D minor suite. This whole thing is going to sound sunnier because it's in a major key. Um, so it's And it's got a lot of danciness to it. The Allemande is called the Le Guimbol, which is probably named after someone. Um, it has a winding theme followed by a rising figure with a dotted rhythm. And then the 10th track is Allemand La Familière. And this sounds like a familiar Allemand. It's very traditional sounding. Um, it's a bit more formal. Um, I like the way the bass registers. Uh, it goes into the bass register at the end of the exposition. This has an appealing melody and reaches up into the upper register of the instrument. The track 11 is called Boutade, which I'm going to assume is a kind of dance. I've never heard this word before. Uh, the gamba plays fast figures in sections, which pauses in between and launches into a long, fast phrase. There's a gavotte la favorite, the, f the favorite or the favored person, 
light dance. Uh, La Petite Brillante, he likes this petite woman here. This has a Siciliano rhythm. And then finally, Rondo La Gracieux, the, the, the graceful one. Um, he likes that, Murray likes to end with the Rondo. Uh, this one's at mid-tempo. It's graceful, as the title suggests. And uh, there's a pretty light approach at the end with long pauses between each note. Next, we get the 6M, the sixth suite in the book. This is an E minor, so another darker key. Uh, this one's a little more ponderous than the previous one. So we get almost like a, I guess you can call it a sun sandwich in this. Uh, we have two minor keys sandwiching a major key, which always sounds sunny to me, especially in Baroque music. Okay, this one gets a bit uh, histrionic, actually, in the prelude. In the second section, the gamma cries out some isolated high notes. He, he has a fantasy movement, a lilting dotted rhythm. There's an alemand. Then comes a saraband, a l'espagnol. The saraband is originally a Spanish dance. Uh, in this one, they use a heavy attack on the downbeats. Uh, in spite of this, it's a flowing work. I'm kind of wondering if the Spanish saraband was heavier sounding. Uh, next is Gigue La Picante. Um, this skips along at a consistent dotted rhythm and has a very distinct downward direction, and it's pretty short as well. There's a gavotte, then a rondo paysan, which kind of in, would indicate that it's from the countryside, I guess. It sounds like it's in a hurry, uh, peeking into corners as it scurries from note to note. Two menuets follow, a lilting dotted rhythm. Uh, the first one kind of Sounds like it's rocking back and forth, kind of between two notes. And uh, there's more a more spacious melody in the second one. It goes to more places. Track 24, La Matelote, is kind of a sea shanty. Matelote will be a sailor. A sea shanty has a kind of feel to it, and a simple melody that sounds as old as the sea itself. It's kind of a nice folky melody. And fifth, the 25th track, La Biscayenne, which is aggressive. I don't know what a Biscayenne is. I guess a person from Biscay. Okay. A woman from Biscay with the E-N-N-E ending. Mm. Um, emphatic, uh, the Bay of Biscay, right? Rhythm, I guess, played by the harpsichord as the gamba lays down the melodic statement. Okay, to separate the two composers, we have a work by Jacques Dufli called La Forqueray. This was originally a harpsichord work, but here it's been arranged by one of the gambists, Reiner Zipperling, for the uh, viols and uh, harpsichord. Um, it's pretty slow, a transcription of a work for solo harpsichord. It's got quite a few different melodic ideas in it and goes on for over six minutes. I guess it's a, it's either, it's a set of variations or a rondo. I didn't really pick it up. Okay. Now at the beginning, I mentioned, uh, the next composer is Fourqueré. Now it says it's Antoine Fourqueré, the father, but, uh, his son published these works, Jean-Baptiste Fourqueré. And it's not really clear whether Jean-Baptiste didn't compose a lot of these works himself. Because hmm. he seems to have been the more adventurous composer. So I feel like, I guess they're credited to Antoine, so the um, CD labels them as being by Antoine. But the booklet note explains that uh, some of them may be by Jean-Baptiste. These all have names. It's, this is not a suite. They're sort of individual works. And they're far more demanding uh, um, as far as uh, technically than the Marais works are. Um, there's a lot of double stopping in these and you can imagine on an instrument like this that mm. would be kind of hard to uh, achieve a good sound. Um, 
No, actually, this is a suite. I'm sorry. It's got the fifth suite in C minor. But all of these uh, movements have names. The first one is La Rameau, which I'm guessing is a tribute to the great composer Jean-Philippe Rameau. Uh, this has a dramatic opening with some kind of melodic material playing high up in the gamba. There's some serious double stopping in this piece, like I mentioned. Surprising for this instrument and very adventurous. The tempo is slow. Rhythmic patterns subtly change between different iterations of the thematic material. Next comes La Guignon. I don't know what that is. Pretty lively rhythm and bouncy in the middle. Double stopping here. Sounds tricky. Next, La Leon. Could be a guy named Leon or could be a lion. This is a saraband. Uh, slow. It's got a ponderous quality to the opening. And I like the ponderous low bass note at the end of the melodic phrases. It's kind mm. of like a nice little period at the end. <laughs> Next, La Boisson, which I guess is a drink. Um, up and down figures on the melody. This has an emphatic 6-8 rhythm with accents on 1 and 4. Um, double stops again. Uh, Fouquet really wants to challenge the gambist. <laughs> Here's what we're going to hear in this piece. <laughs> Some of the double stop notes get high up on the neck. Next, La Montigny. Um, lighter touch here. The harpsichord chimely drives the uh, lightly chugging rhythm as the gamba plays the melodic material. He has a light touch here, and this grows in energy as it goes, and the gamba reaches for the higher registers, and the opening theme repeats at the end. Maybe it's a set of variations. 32, La Silva, track 32. La Silva, the woods, I guess. Slow, tender, light texture. The gamba setting the rhythm and the harpsichord filling in the harmony. Lots of double stopping. And then we end with Jupiter, which is Jupiter, the Roman god, the king of the gods. Rising and falling melody, the melodic figures circle either up or down to their origin. Uh, the gambra is pretty busy in this piece, and it really flies in the middle section and plays some complicated double stops as well. That's the whole album, and uh, it's a beautiful, enjoyable listen from beginning to end, relaxing. You can pay attention to it and get a lot of uh, uh, satisfaction out of it, or it'll sit in the background happily, too, if you wish, while you're doing something else. Beautifully recorded. And that's really the, um, it's the music, but it's also the beautiful recording that's selling this for me. This is a real find, I thought. Yeah, this is a lovely uh, recording. Now, if you like uh, other Baroque music, you know, if you're listening to, uh, how can I say, this is a, something different than listening to uh, Vivaldi or Bach uh, music that has a lot more motion and sort of cleanness to the lines. Right. Uh, Part, I mean, partly it's due to the nature of the sonics of this recording, but these uh, veals, especially the lower register uh, one, it's so warm and fuzzy. Uh, it's a deep string sound that doesn't have a kind of defined edge to it. So it sort of envelops you like a large fuzzy bathrobe. Uh, <laughs> that's how I felt when I was listening to it. Yeah. I felt like that's I was wearing a metaphor. A, I was putting on a cookie monster suit or something and I was all fuzzy. And uh, it's just so, as, so if you want to feel like you're in a cookie monster suit, give yeah, this album a listen. Yeah, that's how gorgeous the string sound is. And then as you were saying, the the Marais pieces rely less on sort of technical lines, although even the Forquere compared to later Baroque music is not as 
you know, movement. I think just because it's to, not as fast. Yeah, you know, it's French. French music yeah. is about going to be about the it's color, about the tone. The sound. Yeah, the uh, tone. And that's a little bit more uh, motion centered in the in the double stop type of difficult things that are in there too. But overall, the mood is uh, sort of uh, placid, relaxing, and the tones are completely gorgeous and uh, you'd just be enveloped by the sound uh, of the viols on here. The harpsichord sounds, you know, well recorded as well, but it's the string sound that just drew me in and made me want to keep listening to this uh, for that, that the, you know, French music, as we've said, always goes for getting the best highlights of timbre of the instruments. And this is just a sort of feast of the the beauty of the feel and i just really love the gorgeous sound of this it's it's a kind of special recording i just wish it was on a streaming platform so listeners could uh, yeah. get a listen to it but yeah, uh, you're gonna have to buy this one uh, unfortunately but it's worth it if it sounds yeah, if you're interested in vile music i would say don't even yeah. hesitate yeah, the the sonics are beautiful. Uh, it's really warm, and the material is uh, it's it's interesting. It, it's it's really relaxing and peaceful. Uh, the the Moray uh, pieces I found, and uh, I I'm sure I'm gonna be listening to this one all the time. Uh, really liked it. Yeah, I always want. I also want to mention this is on an SACD, but that doesn't mean that it won't play on a CD player. It's got a CD have layer, layers. layer too. Yeah. yeah, it's got a CD layer. It'll play on your CD player yeah. if you have that. And, and you can always rip it to your computer too and play well, it on your device. You know, at least on... Yeah. Uh, in the world of classical music, the usually with the SACDs that are still being made, it means that most of them were originally recorded with DSD. Uh, yeah. Not converted, you know, from anal- some older analog recording or PCM to DSD, which sort of nullifies any of the possible benefits of DSD. And so, what it means is you're at least getting the same mastering on both levels, which you often aren't on some sort of re-releases of older material and like right. that. And if they're going to go through the problem of uh, getting the equipment to record on DSD, you can usually be assured that all the other uh, quality things uh, required to get a nice recording have been uh, checked very carefully by the engineers. And I haven't heard the SACD layer yet because you uh, let me listen to the uh, uh, CD yeah, files I, I on this like one. Yeah, I you a CD file. But just the CD, the, the regular um, the IFF files are... Uh, really gorgeous so um i'm in, i'll be interested to compare it to the sacd right. layer and see if i can notice any differences but i think whatever format you listen to it the just the recording quality and the mastering of this is uh, gorgeous so yeah i'll yeah. certainly be sending that your way soon yeah. so put on your bathrobe and your fuzzy slippers uh if you don't have a cookie monster suit and uh, you know do do what i do just get your uh your uh waterproof um yeah, uh, um, Bluetooth speaker. Bring it into the bath with you. Light a few candles. I don't actually do that because I live in a wooden house. But, <laughs> but uh, I don't. And just relax some, in the bath with this. You're giving you me know? some images I don't want to imagine. You with your rubber ducky and candles. Me in with there my rubber ducky and candles and 
and viola da gamba music playing in the dark the candlelit dark oh my god oh my oh. <laughs> well, let's move on i don't want to think about that yeah, anymore. you don't want to think about yeah. that anymore okay well russ mentioned the uh, lines and speaking of clean lines and uh you know beautiful things we have uh bach the last one now this is uh jacob lindberg a swedish lutenist and i've been interested in his recordings he he, he puts out some pretty interesting uh programs of lute music so i was kind of interested in this when i saw it it's all bach bach on the Rau wolf lute which is an instrument was made in 1590 it's an original uh instrument that this that Lindbergh owns and it's been restored a bit and inevitably the the fretboard would have to be you know fixed by now um but he's play he plays transcriptions of a lot of Bach works on this this is on the Beast's label and it's also an SACD if you uh have the equipment for that you know it's um I, w- I was listening to this I have like five channels uh, that I can do and I was listening to this on the five channels and it's kind of weird to hear such a tiny you know it's quiet instrument you know with all that space it's kind of like hearing right. it I guess in a concert hall it's really only taking up the the front channels the back is just ambient it's really just room noise I guess it gives it a little more space to breathe yeah. in but um, we, were, we were talking you know. about this a bit I mean for a lute I mean this lute does have a very interesting and uh, rich tone to mm. it. I just, and I imagine that's why it's been kept through these centuries because it has right. that special tonal quality. However, it is a lute, which uh, <laughs> you know doesn't have a great sustain. And if you look at the um, the program, uh, which Mike will go through in a minute, we've got pieces for violin and, of course, the famous cello suite, which everyone knows. And we're used to hearing these great, you know, cello bowing, which yeah. can just sustain, sustain in, in forever, fin- really. you know, for infinity. And now you've got a little kind of... <laughs> Until pink- the cello's arm gets tired. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and, I wouldn't say infinity, maybe. <laughs> and to, to tackle those pieces with... Uh, a lute, although I have heard them played on uh, guitar before. Um, so one, as we said, the tempos are somewhat adjusted. But, yeah, uh, as the, are the keys, by the way. Yeah. The sonics of the recording uh, really do get the most uh, sustain out of the lute as possible. Uh, yeah. It's sort of a, uh, I don't want to say it's a real reverb, but the 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 sound hangs in the air and I would imagine in surround you can sense that even more and that helps sort of uh, create the um, you know the illusion of enough sustain uh, to go through if you're familiar with these works in uh, you know their traditional bowed performances Uh, but I found them you know in this adaptation to be kind of pleasing and uh, a different way to hear the melodies yeah but they're very different they yeah. have a, a completely different character right. than they have on their original instruments. Now, one of the interesting things about Bach is that his music does lend itself to this sort of adaptation. And it really, it really sounds like, I mean, the uh, melodies and the harmonies are all familiar, but you, it sounds like different music, nevertheless, mm. when it's played on different instruments. It's almost like a magic trick in a way. You're, you're right. hearing like a different quality being brought out of all of this music. And it is a beautiful recording. I just want to say that right up front. Really beautiful. So good work to the engineer there. We should. We should. I should write the engineers' names down and credit them when they do a good job. We gotta, Those guys make they, the difference. Yeah, they're know? like the offensive linemen in American football. You know, I don't get yeah. any credit, but they. 
do a lot of the work. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll look should him say, up. I, I have I have the disc here. I'll look it up in a moment. I Go would ahead. say if we start uh, crediting uh, these people, both in classical and jazz, because there is some crossover, you're going to find a lot of Japanese uh, masters yeah. of the uh, recording and mastering uh, process whose names pop up on lots of uh, recordings. Uh, if you start to recognize them, uh, you'll see the men responsible for taking those performances and making them sound really nice in your headphones or your living room. Uh, yeah, they deserve credit because yeah. uh, they make the decisions uh, that bring this gorgeous sound to us. So, yeah, we should uh, start including some people in there. Well, let's start now. The... Uh the sound, the producer on this record was Johan Lindbergh, who is probably related to Jakob. And the sound engineer was Matthias Spitzberth. So mm. good good work, yeah. gentlemen. This is a great sounding recording. Let's let's see if I could dig up the uh you know. Oh, they didn't they don't they list the uh oh the engineer of the uh previous recording, the Forcare and the uh Marin, is um Oh man. He's he, he, boy, and producer, engineer, editor, Ulrich Lorschneider on the uh, Marais and Fouquere record. So he's 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 a miracle worker. That guy. He, yeah. <laughs> he's he's did a lot of work on that album and uh, really great. Okay, so on this one, the Bach one more time, we have uh, Matthias Spitzberth is the sound engineer and Johann Lindbergh the producer. So I, I imagine they work together to get the sound. So anyway, this uh, again, this is a, okay. Like I said, it's on SACD. All right, these are all transcriptions. I I, I don't think any of them is originally for the lute on this. Uh, there's one, isn't there? Um, I'm not sure. The well, uh, the last maybe the large no. Uh, let's see, the lute suite in uh, number four well, in E major, I think. Well, okay, that's. Number four, wait, where is that? In F major. After the Okay, cello. this one, no, this is, this no. is, it's originally, this is the violin partita number three, but it would, the thing about this one, it was uh, arranged by Bach himself for the lute. That's why it's not oh, okay. mentioned. Um, I, th so, I thought the, uh, isn't there a lute suite number four? There are, but he doesn't play any of them on this album. <laughs> no, no, on this, on this album, I thought. Well, there's uh, the. After the cello suite. There's the F major one. Which is a uh, an arrangement of uh, the violin partita number three that Bach himself made, and then the sonata in G minor is um, arranged by Lindbergh of Sonata Number no. One for solo violin. Right. So these are all transcriptions of the violin or cello works. the The very first track. Let's just go through these. The very first track is Prelude in D minor, and this is a harpsichord work or a keyboard work right. that everybody has played who has ever learned to play the piano. Uh, I certainly did. Uh, very famous work. Um, it's from Anna Magdalena's Notebook, I think, but I'm not sure on that. Anna Magdalena's Notebook is a pretty interesting thing in of itself. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like you know how you have photo albums of your family like through the years. This is their version of the photo album. They just had these musical pieces that either they liked or some of them wrote. Or hmm. it was said to be for Bach's wife Anna Magdalena's musical education, but it might have just been a collection of things that the family liked. I kind of. I like that idea of having like your yeah. your family's favorite musical works in the uh, a sonic in the, album uh, in a book somewhere, you know. All right, 
the sound quality, I said, of this one is amazingly clear. Um, you can hear the quality of the instrument. Um, good energy and momentum on this particular performance. It draws the ear. I was hooked. I was drawn in. All right, the next work, the Fugue in C Major. This is from Sonata Number no. 3 for solo violin. Uh, it's a long work. It comes in in 11 minutes for Fugue. Um, it reminds me... Um, wait, no, it is something from the violin sonatas. Um, these multi-voiced work for lute are exceptionally hard to play. You have to keep that in mind because they're not written for the lute and they're, they're different melodies being played at the same time. It's a real trick to be able to kind of work that out because you're playing it all, fingering it all with one hand as you are on the violin too. But it's, it's a little different. I think it's more filled in. On the lute, on the piano, at least you have two hands to be able to play all these different voices. Um, Lindbergh makes all of the voices clearly distinguishable from each other. He's fingering them all with one hand. There's some impressive sixteenth note drops, sixteenth note like sort of drop-ins in this, like leading from one note to the other. It's a gorgeous work in this form. It's more soothing and comfortable than its violin version. Uh, mm. I found myself luxuriating in this as though I were in a bubble bath. With candles, listening to four. Oh, no. Okay, no. We're back with the rubber <laughs> ducky again. There we go. I don't take bubble baths. <laughs> Although it sounds like an enjoyable thing to do. I don't know. Could be, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I liked this work. This was a nice arrangement of it. It's a lot, yeah. Yeah, more soothing than the violin version, which is a bit more dramatic and adventurous. The that's generally the rule. The lute kind of softens everything. It takes the edge off of what you hear on the cello and on the violin. It's it's a quiet instrument. Yeah, I mean, you can get variations ha- with the bowing yeah. on a violin or cello to get an edge on things. But with the lute, it, it never really has what I would call an edge. You can get yeah. different types of articulation uh, and a more kind of pizzicato type of thing. But... Generally, you have that more evenness of uh, tone, regardless of you know what your articulation is, and it sort of smooths things out uh, overall. Next is um, Largo in F major. This is also from Sonata Number no. Three for solo violin. Um, very pretty in this version. The harmonies sound like they're filled out to me. Um, or on the violin, you, you need to sort of break up the harmony because you can't play all four strings at the same time so they kind of get arpeggiated but on the lute there's no such problem you just kind of play them all at the same time like you would on a piano all right next we get into the full suites the first one is suite in c major now this was from the cello suite number one uh which was in is in g major so this is transposed by Lindbergh, so that it will fit more comfortably on the lute so it has a different sort of color to it as well as timbre um it's, it's a total different um frequency to it i guess all right um this um prelude the very famous opening prelude of the cello suite number one sounds a lot easier on the lute than it does on the cello it's all these arpeggiated chords um it doesn't have the darkness of the cello in this it's bright and comfortable and it's kind of sounds kind of cheerful here it's a complete mm. change of character next we have an alemans that's a dance um uh, this sits comfortably on the lute, and I think uh, Lindbergh is, again, I said, filling out some of the harmony occasionally on the bass notes. It makes the piece sound more solid. Uh, nice warm harmony on the phrases as the piece goes on. Warm is a good 
word for this. It kind of loses a lot of its dramatic quality, but gains something else in, you know, it's, it's a trade off. There's a trade off sort of to play it on this instrument. Next comes a courant. Uh, this is played with a bit of a hop to the rhythm. It sounds cheerful and calm. And let's see. Next we have the Sarabande, always like a centerpiece for me. It's always a slow dance. Uh, this one, again, smoothly shaped here. And I think he keeps the harmony as Bach notated it here. Eighth track, Menuet 1 and 2, very pretty uh, with beautifully shaped phrases. Played a bit fast. It's normally not played this fast on the cello. Uh, Menuet 2 has a downward winding melody, and it's also pretty fast. Then there's a jig, which has a gentle rhythm for a jig. Um, but there's the jig profiles there. It just sounds lovely here. Tracks 10 to 15 are sweet in F major. BWV 1006A. This is originally an E major, and it comes from its violin partita number three, but it's box arrangement in this case. He arranged it for the lute. Okay. This prelude, it's an F major. It has a sunny opening. Um, as with the original violin work, it's really such sounds chipper, I guess, and cheerful would be the uh, words I'd use here. Everything blends nicely on the lute, though. Fantastic work on the figuration towards the end. Cheerful all the way through. Now, remember, in the... Um, in the uh, Am I just talking about the right thing here? Oh, this is the partita. No, okay, never mind. <laughs> this is Sonata before this. Next comes a lure, which is a kind of dance, a light tone. He plays high up on the neck, and there are some tricky trills in the melody. He gives a sensitive performance of this work. The next track is a gavotte and rondeau. Uh, this is a very famous work. Dun, 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 dun. Everybody knows yep. this. Very cheerful. It comes across here, much as it does in the violin, only gentler. Menuet 1 and 2 uh, has a quickish, bright melody. And I like the lightness the lute brings to this particular uh, work. The middle section has a muted sound and feel. It's like he's kind of got his the heel of his hand on the bridge or something, and he's kind of muting the tone. Next we have a bourre. Um, the rhythm is heavily accented and flows nicely and smoothly. And then there's a jig, a nice, which is a jig, a nice uh, lilt to this very unjig-like jig. It's got the 3-4 rhythm that a jig has, but sounds more flowing than a jig normally does. A jig kind of sounds like it's somebody's kind of kicking in the air. But this doesn't really sound like that. The melody comes across as exceptionally pretty on the lute which it does not, I mean, it's nice on the violin, but it's pretty isn't a word I'd use for it in the violin thing. Okay, next we have Sonata in G minor, which is an arrangement of Sonata number one for solo violin. Um, the first track on this is the Adagio, and this is a very famous work for the violin. It starts with that big broken chord, and it's really dramatic. And, uh, but it's on the lute, it sounds mellow and understated. It almost, if you didn't know what you were listening to, you wouldn't think, unless you have like a good harmonic ear for these things, uh, you wouldn't think this was, uh, that work. It sounds completely different. Uh, you could hear the harmonies and lines more clearly due to the cleanness and evenness of the lute's sound. But this is a highly dramatic work, and the lute, I don't think is capable of putting that drama across, so you don't get that here. Nevertheless, um, this, that's not a criticism. It's just the way the lute sounds. It's a pretty great uh, performance of this, given the sound that the lute has. 
Next comes one of my favorite works of the violin, solo violin works, the fugue in this um, particular sonata. Um, this one sounds a bit more prosaic than it does on the violin, but the voices are all played as harmony and not rolled as in the violin version, and that changes the character. Uh, the tempo is surprisingly slower than in the violin. Usually you get the opposite because of the lute's short right. sustain, but he actually does this one slower. I guess he wants the voices, the various voices to register. Um, it's a good performance. I didn't, again, I'm not being critical when I say it's prosaic. It's not the performer that's at fault there. It's just the sound of the instrument. It doesn't really come across as sort of as dramatic. Next, we have a Siciliana, nicely characterized, fairly slow, close to the violin tempo. And then the presto, cascading sound to the arpeggiated chords here. And it's kind of dancey. Um, the naughty figuration comes out with clarity between melody and accompaniment. At last, we have the famous Chacon in D minor, um, arranged by Lindbergh from the Partita Number no. 2 for solo violin. The great Chacon, as it's known to violin aficionados. Um, because of the ability to play bass and melody together, the shape of the Chacon bass line is very clear, as are the chords played over them. So this very heavy dramatic work and um, heartfelt work loses a lot of its weight on the lute, inevitably. Um, it's easy to pay attention to the developing impro improvisations and variations above the bass on the lute. They're very clearly delineated. Um, it loses quite a bit of its imposing power, though. Um, nevertheless, it was interesting to hear in this format. It's kind of because um, you, you hear the shape of it a lot. Uh, more easily just because of the way all the notes kind of fall together. So, yeah, this is a beautiful sounding instrument. It's all Bach. It sounds a little, so of course it's great. And you're in the hands of a really excellent player as well. Um, it's interesting to hear these works in this format because they completely change their character. So I got uh, three winners this week. Two real great winners and one that's a real curiosity that it's worth hearing. This particular one I liked a lot because I just like the lute in general, I guess. Yeah, I like lute too. A lot of the lute recordings I listen to is of lute music. So I don't <laughs> well, know it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know it all that well, but I just kind of enjoy it and, uh, you know, listen. So this one uh, kind of gives you that little extra uh, kind of uh, interesting perspective because it's playing music that, you know, most listeners, well, of classical music will know already and uh, you're hearing it in a new way uh, on the lute so it's got that little extra appeal on this kind of gorgeous uh, toned lute it's got that little something special uh, due to its construction and uh, historical you know kind of uh, intrigue with it and uh, then the recording adds to that by making it uh you know, be sustained and holding out uh, the voices so you can hear it really well. So that combination of the material, the gorgeous uh, tone, and then these uh, familiar pieces played in different and interesting ways, I think gives it a lot of appeal. And so I think if you like sort of the calming sound of lute, lute is good to listen to sometimes in the morning or even at night, uh, you know, I think we have that. What is that? Late night lute recording. Late night lute. That's actually a recording yeah. called late night. Lute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I like that one a lot. Yeah. Uh, and 
This one gives something a little bit different because uh, you'll hear things uh, in a new way on it. And um, it's another one to add to my loot collection. And I liked it a lot. I uh, I think that now that you mentioned late night loot, I feel like we should credit the performer oh, yeah. on that. I don't remember who it is. So I got to look it up here. Let's see. Late night loot is a recording. Let's see what comes up here. There it is by Matthew Wadsworth on the loot, and it's on the Duzel label, which is a French label. Du like two D E U X, and L E L L E S. I guess two women. Um, from 2017. Beautiful recording. You can check that out too if you like the loot. Yeah. It's good late night loot. I like it. And it's good in the All morning right. too. Oh, yeah. Morning, night. If you're taking a nap in the daytime. Yeah. Uh, Space you right out. Are we ready for some jazz or what? I'm ready. All right. Well, back in November, uh, I had. Uh, well, all this music baroque my brain. It baroque your brain. Uh, yeah. So time to get time to bass. put it back together again. And uh, back in November we had. Uh, now you're going to make me a bass head. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, bass head. <laughs> we had an album called Bases Loaded, and uh, sort of completely unplanned. But this is going to be Bases Reloaded uh, here. Uh, just clearing out my list of recordings from last year I had a lot of things uh, on That's basically there. what this program is yeah. on the Baroque too yeah. and by chance and these were all by musicians that I was not familiar with and when I listened to them uh, it's sort of weeding out you know things that would have to go uh, un unmentioned on the podcast or things that would be good enough uh, to bring on here these all passed the muster so to speak and uh they, I said, oh, I should really check these out. And they all happen to be albums led by bass players, which doesn't always happen, but we seem to have got a lot of them last year that were really good recordings. And so I said, well, let's take these three as a group, as uh, bass leaders, and let's get them out there. And we've got an interesting combination of uh, nationalities. Two of them center around New York and uh I've also got some other kind of interesting instruments and things going on here. So up first, hmm. the bassist Mark Lewandowski. This is a self-released recording called Under One Sky. And despite the name Lewandowski, you might wonder, where is he from? Well, you wouldn't guess, but uh, Nottingham, England uh, hmm. is uh, his birthplace. Um However, he's made New York City his home after studying at Juilliard. And uh, after coming to New York, he's played with uh, some of the top names in the world of jazz, including Wynton Marsalis, Joe Chambers, Dave Liebman, Jeremy Pelt, uh, Mike Ladon, Joe Farnsworth, uh, and uh, also another one of our favorite players who we heard uh, in the last episode, Dave Kikoski. And uh, so he's... Uh, tries to be active in uh, European scene and also in New York. And this album is sort of uh, exploring his experience uh, working between London and New York uh, and sort of bringing that to a kind of a musical exposition of that lifestyle in two different places. So we've got Mark Lewandowski on bass, uh, a nice discovery, uh, 
pianist here, Addison Frey, uh, who I hadn't uh, heard before, but I was intrigued from this recording. Uh, Kush Abaday on drums. That's a cool name, isn't it? Kush. What's your name? Kush. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, all of the compositions on the album are originals by Lewandowski. And uh, so we start out with an introduction which has in parentheses 3,459 miles, which I would, I believe would be the distance from Nottingham to New York. Uh, and so I think he's setting up this sort of uh, distance between the two locales. It begins with some low rumbling notes and cymbals. There's a kind of rubato and tentative melody line by the piano and bass while the drums fill in with cymbals. And then there's a pause before a more slow beat develops. And then uh, Frey comes in on piano with a real nice touch of textures and rungs. Uh, it's kind of sparse on the whole. Some pretty melodic ideas contrasted with tension-building chords. And I'm thinking he's maybe uh, kind of exploring the uh, tensions and discoveries of going from one place to a new place. It sort of feels like that drawn between two worlds of tension and release here. Uh, the second track is called Licks. Hmm. This one kicks in with a slow beat. It's got some motion to it, though. Uh, there's a nice moving piano figures with cymbal swells uh, to the melody uh, added there. Lewandowski gets a bass solo first here. Uh, he has a lot of movement. He gets some cool kind of fast septuplet figures uh, mixed in with his melodic lines, shows off his technique well. Uh, his overall approach has kind of a soft attack. Uh, it's not unclear, but uh, relatively speaking, it's not a hard uh, sort of attack that he uses. Frey I, really takes think over. As, I think of that as European, actually, that soft attack. They right. seem to like that approach a lot. Yeah. Uh, Frey takes over with some fresh sounding phrases. He's a very fresh player. Uh, so he doesn't really sound like uh, anyone that he's copying or something. I, I noticed that about his approach uh, and some nice chords as well. And he, he also shows a lot of restraint. He doesn't overplay uh, in his solos or anything. He seems to hold, be holding something back, which is kind of an attractive quality. Uh, track three, Provavus. Hmm. This is a fast cymbal beat intro. And Lewandowski and Frey work together on the complex harmonic ideas that go through the melody on this one uh, with phrases that end in some syncopated bass figures. Uh, Frey shows off a lot of agility here. He's got a lot of running lines in his solo and the drummer Abaday drives it with some fast ride cymbals and uh, hard uh, fill hits. Uh, Lewandowski is walking feverishly under the fast piano lines in this one, uh, showing his... Uh, regular bass uh, support in a tune like this. Four, for Paul Blay, the dedication, uh, fast double hand piano figures joined by crashing cymbals and then the bass comes in. It turns into like a slow dirge of a groove. Uh, Frey works through some really fast repeated notes and then he gets some bluesy ideas with uh, dissonant chords uh, added as well. And the volume of the groove of the tune increases and then fades out. Uh, 
five, The Same Moon. This is a quiet ballad with a sparse piano intro. Uh, the pianist Frey plays the notes uh, as if they were expensive here. <laughs> he doesn't want to uh, <laughs> it's an interesting comment. <laughs> use up all of his tokens. Uh, there's a lot of synchronicity between the piano and bass, uh, working out what's going on. Uh, Abaday on drums brushes softly behind here. And Lewandowski takes a gentle solo. There's lots of space between his phrases. And there's also a lot of open space all over in this tune. Uh, it seems to come to an end once before it actually does. So there's like a, almost a false ending quality to it. Track six is called Islands, and this is a rhythmically interesting one. The intro has four and two beat phrases that cycle in the piano and bass. It makes it hard to count what's going on. Uh, then there's a stop time section where the piano breaks out with some interesting figures and Frey solos adventurously while sometimes keeping the bass pattern with Lewandowski at the same time. And Abade keeps it busy with some fills and hits. And the final time around, it gets more percussive for a big finish. Track seven is called Very Well. It's an easy swinging melody based on I Get Along With You Very Well. Uh, uh, the without you, I'm sorry, I get along without you very well, uh, jazz standard. Uh, you can pick up hints of that melody in what he's doing here. Uh, Lewandowski has some nice backing lines to the melody, and then he launches into his own melodic solo. Frey gets a solo as well, too, and Abaday's backing cymbals and rim clicks turn to more of a driving swing. Uh, Lewandowski does some nice bass walking patterns under that before they settle back down. Uh, for a little bit more of the melody and a nice final swell to the end. There's a really nice bass and piano work on this one. Track eight is called Queen of the Orchids. It's a, kind of a bossa beat tune with jumping chord pairs that go through it. Uh, in the second melody section, Lewandowski has really nice bass line ideas. It's another really good vehicle for phrase imaginative solo ideas. And Lewandowski locks in tightly with Abaday on drums for some counter lines that have a different rhythm that crosses against the piano. Uh, so got a lot of uh, things working over each other in this tune. Uh, nine is another dedication for Andrew Hill, who is a jazz pianist. Uh, tentative and sparse tune. Frey builds chords, kind of short melodic phrases around a repeating three-note riff that appears in the left hand, and then it continues uh, under Lewandowski's melodic and kind of almost pleading solo on the bass on this one. His repeated attacks build a soft intensity. They go out quietly over the little rift. Uh, 10, we've got Skyline. This is a jumping melody in the bass and piano left hand that create a really open sort of sky-like atmosphere. Uh, Frey adds chords on top. It breaks into a solo of really uplifting ideas. The Abaday is listening to what's going on and he adds a lot of rhythmic variety in response uh, to the piano and bass. Uh, Lewandowski solos here too. He finds some cool rhythmic grooves in this one uh, and they build it to an enthusiastic finish of the melody. And we end with the title track, uh, Under One Sky. This is the most complex tune on here. I gave up trying to analyze what meters and uh, temp uh, things were going on with the uh, 
uh, beat. Uh, it's got a lot of complex overlapping running lines between the bass and piano, and they ebb into a kind of rocking motion when the lines sort of uh, end up and before they restart. Frey reaches kind of new heights here on the piano with really running phrases and accented notes. He builds it to a chiming climax of single notes and chords. When it finally comes down, uh, it gets back to that kind of rocking feeling uh, and it sort of uh, ebbs out and fades away on that rhythm. So it fades. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought this was a very fresh sounding recording of original compositions. There's really great interplay between uh, the trio here. Um, uh, Lewandowski has a nice bass sound. The tone is really nice. And I was really impressed by the pianist Frey. Uh, he's got great touch and kind of an a, original fresh sound of on his solos and things. So uh, I thought this was an interesting recording. Interesting. I, I think that's a good word for it. I rather mysteriously didn't write any uh, summing up at the end of... Oh. of I, I wrote notes for every track and then I didn't write a summing up at the end, which kind of would mean that uh, I didn't know what to say about it. Um, I liked it, I guess, but I, I don't think it really like made a big impression on me. The playing is excellent. Um, it's all, you know... You know, the, it's all original material. I, I, the whole sound of it is good. I would just... I think it just kind of left me sort of with a lukewarm feeling. I liked it, but I didn't love it, you know. And I don't want that to be you know, a, a, a criticism either because I think people should hear it and listen. I think it's a good record. Well, it's one of the things, you know, if you record a tune with no standards and no yeah. covers of other jazz grits, you get your own original material completely. And, and it's instrumental too, so it's not you're, like... You're uh, asking more yeah. of the listener... There's nothing to grab onto the, of familiarity. It's completely right. fresh, uh, mm. and yeah, so there is that aspect to it. Uh, but I definitely think it's worth uh, checking out, and uh, I was impressed by the musicianship, and uh, especially I was the, impressed by the musicianship too. Yeah. I like the pianist a lot. The pianist, he, uh, yeah, he's really he had good. some pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. So yeah, he he changed up his style quite a bit in yeah, a lot of the yeah. different tracks. I really like that. I'm going to be looking for him uh, doing other things. So now we're going to go from that, a completely <laughs> new original material, to something that's uh, completely familiar, or should be, to any uh, uh, person knowledgeable of jazz and American music in general, because uh, it covers the greatest composer of uh, American music and crossing both genres, uh, George Gershwin. George Gershwin, but some people would say that it was, that was Duke Ellington, but, you know, <laughs> the greatest ever. Yeah, we could have this argument. It's like I, Bach and Mozart, you know? What yeah, you I guess say? you could. I mean, but yeah. where would jazz be without George Gershwin? And, uh, you know, lots of interesting stories yeah, and, about... And Duke Ellington. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> st still. But, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, jazz so musicians took what he did and took it on their own. But right. uh, it was... I read all these stories, like, you know, Gershwin wanted to... Um, study with Ravel and uh, right. other players in Europe and they're like no you're you're already Gershwin <laughs> do, yeah. do what you're doing because we think that's cool too so what I mean is yeah. this figure who uh, crossed genres you know uh, later like you know Bernstein would do uh, you know later uh, be yeah. this sort of figure that can cross over all these genres it's, and influence all kinds of music and um, it's funny Bernstein had that 
the same kind of gift for melody that Gershwin had, and yet for some reason Gershwin just had the better, you know. But then in, there's Maria, there's like West Side yeah, Story, there's so many great, this great tunes, Bernstein yeah. songs. Yeah. But even so, Gershwin, I don't know. Somehow those go deeper for me. Yeah. Somehow, I don't know the Gershwin songs. Anyway. We're not going to hear these played by American musicians, but we got some Italians here. And hey, hey I got to hey. say, I got to say, these guys do a number on these Gershwin things in a new way. Because now on the opposite end of the spectrum, when you've got, we just talked about all original compositions. How are you going to draw the listener in and, you know, get them hooked into your tunes that they've never heard before? And now... When you've got tunes that everyone's heard a million times before, are you going to bring something new and fresh to it that makes it even worth, you know, recording these things again, especially all together with an all Gershwin program? And I got to say, this one really does that. Uh, okay. Now, we've got here the Italian bassist from Genoa, Massimiliano Rolf. <laughs> it doesn't sound uh, classically. I guess he's from the north, maybe. Uh, Could uh, be. In his family roots. Yeah. But uh, anyway. But not it's in a Genoa normally. But, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm not sure his family background, but uh, uh, Gershwin on air. This is on Challenge Records. And we've got here Rolf on bass. Uh, another. And now this guy really impressed me. Uh, Tommaso Perazzo on piano. Hmm, okay. This guy, this guy is—he's uh, only 26 years old. Uh, really knocked me out uh, with what he does on this record. And we've got oh, Antonio Fusco on drums, uh, and he's a great player too. Uh, I gotta say, uh, yeah, this album really drew me in. It's very classy, uh, and what makes Classy's it great? A good word, yeah. yeah, yeah. Other than the the great playing, which is fabulous, but the arrangements are really good and that's what you have to do if you're going to do all of these tunes because everyone who knows jazz music knows all of these tunes there's really cool arrangements and unexpected things uh here well anyway it starts out with uh, uh sweet from porgy and bess uh yeah doing all it's really tunes. funny because i i saw this i said i saw the word sweet and then of course i yeah. shuddered because yeah. we know how we all feel yeah, about sweet. sweets here. yeah but then the next words were from porgy and bess and i was like oh okay oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i accepted that yeah and that kind I of allowed like, that Unless you're Duke Ellington, you're not allowed to do sweets, basically, in our book, right? Um, Although, but, I want to mention again, we did like the Steve Slagle suite. That was yes, good. We did. His, uh, yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. You're sort of putting right. up hurdles to us if you call it a sweet. But but if it's sweet from yeah. Porgy and Bess, some of those hurdles are low. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we go through some of the famous tunes from- This uh, is such great songs. Yeah. Right. Uh, with It Ain't Necessarily. So, uh, this one- starts with bass and piano chords uh, on one and two of every other measure for kind of an enchanting intro. Uh, gets a rhythmic thing going. Uh, Perazzo chimes out the familiar melody, harmonized, and it's played pretty straight, but they all add nice little fills to it. Uh, Rolf gets a nice chugging, slow bass line going. He has a solo spot near the end and then he digs into the uh, lower register a bit with a really nice rich tone um, after that uh, we've got uh, Bess You Is My Woman no, so one of my favorite songs yeah slow really and easy beautiful. tempo here Rolf carries the melody on bass Perazzo takes over and starts with the relaxed touch lots of space and a few nice rolling chords then he works into some faster and intense lines Rolf adding really nice answers to those on the bass. Uh, towards the end, Fusco drops out on drums for a bit while the tempo picks up. 
And then Rolf has some nice lines before the drums join in again. Perrazzo chimes out some really joyful chords and lines to the end. It's a really nice arrangement. Uh, I especially liked on the you know the the part of the song that goes you is the the is yeah the note that's played on it is sounds particularly good yeah. is like that bass yeah. note on the piano is really great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the arrangements on this and the accenting. Well, they're interesting, going on, certainly. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. Uh, we got I, I loves you, Porgy. Rolf yeah. takes the lead on the sweet melody here. He then passes it to uh, Perrazzo before taking it back. Fusco lays some crisp brushwork underneath. Rolf gets a nice melodic solo, solo going down really low, and the recording captures the full depth of his tone really nicely. Uh, really deep, woody stuff going on here. Prazo is a nice, tasty interlude, too, and he comes back with the melody. He gets that real nice chiming in the upper register. Uh, he makes a flourishing ending, and then this one segues into the next tune because this is a sweet uh, so they sort of uh, go into each other. Then we've got, uh, there's a boat that's leaving soon for New York, which we're going to hear again later, actually, just by chance. <laughs> um, this one, after this kind of segue, we get a drum intro into rising piano figures. That kind of gets an enthusiastic swing going. Uh, there's nice accents from Fusco and uh, Rolf also gets in on that pushes Perrazzo along, who alternates the light melodic figures uh, and big chord crashes. Uh, Perrazzo has a really charged up solo here with a lot of rhythmic energy. And Rolf also gets a bouncy solo. And uh, Fusco gets a go around on the drums uh, in there as well. Uh, after the melody repeat, the drums uh, beat out a little bit to the end. And then we get into uh, My Man's Gone Now. And a nice piano, lush chord intro on this one. Fusco adds some pressurized drum figures underneath. Aprazo makes the melody shine in the upper register, getting some trills and bluesy fills. His solo keeps the bluesy feel going over the minor chords. He works up to kind of a rolling tension in the, in the keyboard in a section that uh, Fusco feeds with his drum press rolls and hits. It simmers down for the ending, and Perrazzo does a nice setup into the next tune, which is Summertime. And uh, you won't, you wouldn't know that right from the beginning, because this also has a really cool arrangement. Uh, Rolf gets a hypnotic kind of bass line going off from repeated notes, uh, but it's not like an ostinato, it's something different uh, that he comes up with a pattern here. Uh, and then Perrazzo comes in with the familiar melody. They bring it to a kind of driving swing, but then they bring it back to a quiet, even beat for a Rolf to solo over. So they're getting a lot of rhythmic variations here. Uh, the swing comes back again for Perrazzo's solo, uh, and he pulls out some bluesy ideas, rolling chords, darting triplet figures, uh, and other exciting things. He really shows off some... Uh, cool inventiveness here. Fusco changes up the beat again, and it gets kind of an evaporating finish to it. Yeah, this uh, these last two uh, tracks in the suite, uh, My Man's Gone Now and Summertime, are like a complete uh, change of character to what yes. they originally are in the opera. Yeah. The uh, My Man's Gone Now is a really anguished uh, song. It's really yeah. 
soulful and you know painful but here it's so spacious that it kind of feels airy you know like right. the uh um so i was interested in that kind of change yeah. and then summertime the similar thing it's actually pretty fast because usually it's yep. a ballad yeah you know and uh so i thought that was kind of an interesting uh take on that it really caught me by surprise yeah so they made all these tunes uh you know from uh into the same source uh they're connected but yet they're all freshly arranged and presented i was drawn into them so this is a fabulous sounding recording i should say as well uh the sonics are great so that ends the suite and then the rest is a uh, collection of other gershwin tunes that became jazz standards uh so we've got a foggy day track seven so this one gets a modern kind of gospely piano intro uh rolf takes the melody on bass fusco adds spice with rim clicks and he keeps a funky beat going for perrazzo's solo it comes back down for rolf's solo and then back up with a classy finish so an, a little bit of a kind of gospel tinge to this one eight love walked in slow spacious kind of cha-cha like beat on this one yeah. uh perrazzo takes the melody here a gentle treatment rolf gets a relaxed solo always keeping the melody in mind. And then Perrazzo has another tasty solo uh, with fun left-hand rhythms that are uh, clearly, uh, and then clearly articulated individual notes in the right hand. Uh, nine is Who Cares? Uh, this one has kind of a Latin beat, ostinato bass and piano uh, riff uh, into uh, changes of a kind of a fast swing with syncopated lines to break it up. They keep the Latin swing alternation going through the whole tune. Perrazzo gets some great two-handed runs and figures in his solo working, you know, in uh, movement together. Rolf has another melodic solo over quiet chords uh, and some really nice soft snare work by Fusco. It's a nice arrangement of this tune. Uh, very inventive. Uh, so kind of a Latin adaptation. 10, uh, another real famous tune, The Man I Love. It's a very slow ballad style. Perrazzo teases the melody uh, delicately over very big sustained low bass notes by Rolf, who then takes the melody for a spin on his own. Perrazzo gets some bluesy ideas, more chiming cascades into a short solo, and then the melody returns. It gets kind of a gentle ending. Uh, 11, how long has this been going on? Uh, this one gets a nice reharmonization and spacious intro with uh, Fusco filling in light rhythms between the piano melody phrases. It breaks into a swing, but then changes up to an even beat for an original kind of rising bass left-hand piano motif uh, that they've added to the arrangement of this tune. Uh, Perrazzo gets a solo over the changing beat, then Rolf, they repeat the bass motif for a while, gives Fusco some jamming space on the drums. So this is another cool arrangement, kind of reimagining of this tune uh, with uh, those extra lines and uh, rhythm variation. Uh, 12, someone to watch over me. Uh, just bass here. And so uh, Rolf gets a little solo bass journey on the familiar melody. Uh, and he has fun uh, harmonizing uh, along there uh, by himself. And we end up with uh, But Not For Me. This gets a medium swing treatment. Uh, some nice Fusco brushing behind the piano. Melody to start. He switches to sticks as soon as Perrazzo digs in more and moves into a solo. And uh, Rolf gets a 
solo round as well and get some interesting altered chords at the end and uh, we end up with embraceable you uh, which is often done as a ballad but uh, we get a drum intro and a fast version <laughs> on this yeah. one uh, Perazzo and Rolf come in with the melody in clipped phases uh, around the drums and uh, Rolf keeps his solo phrases short for Fusco to uh, fill in too uh, Fusco drives it fast Perazzo's swinging solo and it builds to a nice climax uh, they repeat the kind of clipped phrase idea for a final melody turn and then a quick kind of cute ending so I really enjoyed this album uh, they made these old Gershwin standards fresh uh, great arrangements played with lots of Italian passion uh, for American <laughs> music uh, beautifully sounding uh, recording as well and look out for this uh, Perazzo guy on piano This I think this guy's going to be a monster as he uh, a monster as he yeah. as he uh, as ages, we say in New York as we say in Yonkers in Yonkers <laughs> yeah, he's a monster uh, he's a monster yeah um, yeah Run nice surprise hide. nice surprise but, um, for me yeah now that you now that I've heard you talk about this I think I like it more than I did I, it, the thing about it is it's they're such familiar tunes and when they change them like the the, the, the kind of yeah. whole profile of them I feel like I need to hear it like more than two times like I, right. it's gotta i gotta have to kind of get used to it uh so i was kind of like oh this doesn't sound like that but that's the point of it really <laughs> you know? right yeah yeah um these familiar harmonies that i keep hearing them and i just want to hear them the way i love them right, you know? right but um but no it's a it's a it's a it's a good record the playing is great and yeah the sound quality uh especially on the piano it's just really well recorded i liked it a lot so i'm gonna go with you here and give this a few more listens yeah listen to this um you know mm. when you have this familiar you know gershwin tunes that become standards in the jazz repertoire too anyone can play these going through the emotions but these guys no, are they not, don't this do is, that here that's this for sure, very yeah. passionate and uh and what i really like is the re imaginative uh arrangements as i said they've looked at how you know different rhythms, different tempos can be used to look at these tunes in different ways. Uh, and it works. Uh, and the interplay musicianship is great. Uh, so I, d I didn't know uh, Rolf's playing at all, but uh, yeah, I'm very impressed with that. And so the third recording, uh, another transplant uh, to New York, uh, because everyone wants to go to New York to play jazz and see if they can make it there. They could make it anywhere. Yeah. And we've got Mr. Martin Wind, who left Germany to pursue his jazz dreams in New York, also on the base. Uh, he arrived in the U.S. in the mid-1990s, and uh, this recording celebrates... His experience coming from uh, Europe into New York. It's on Laika Records, and it's called My Astorian Queen. I had an Astorian <laughs> queen, queen once. I wonder if it's the same one. Oh, boy. Oh. So uh, for listeners who <laughs> may not title. be... I just want to Yeah, say. who may not be familiar with uh, queens in New York. So Astoria is part of Queens. It's kind of... Which is properly pronounced Astoria. Astoria. <laughs> so it's a you know it's a 
a kind of a, a joke on that idea. Uh, it's up kind of in the northern part of Queens there. And uh, so that's where he was living. And then the tune that the title track here is dedicated to his Astorian queen, his wife, who yeah. he met, uh, oh, if I remember from reading the uh, notes, was a friend of the pianist, Bill Mays's wife, who he met mm -hmm. almost at the time that he arrived there. Okay. Um, so it's kind of um, looking at this perspective. I think the the subtitle on the album is 25 Years on the New York Jazz Scene. Uh, and so he's kind of looking back. This is another recording I had on my list and I thought, ah, I don't know, I'll listen to it sometime. When I listened to it, I was like, oh, this, <laughs> this you know, I didn't know this, this uh, uh, player, but uh, I definitely wanted to uh, check this out. And so we've got... Uh, as I said, Martin Wind on bass, uh, Bill Mays on piano, uh, Matt Wilson on drums. And then on my first listen, without looking at the tracks, uh, I heard uh, various instruments, uh, trumpet. Yeah, I was I heard, having trouble uh, worried, making I, out what these were. Yeah, I heard usually. trumpet, I heard sax, I heard clarinet, and I heard uh, something that I said, that sounds like Barry, but it's too low. And I said, why are all these, are these all, you know, different players that aren't playing together. Well, all these instruments are covered by one musician, the multi-instrumentalist Scott Robinson. Uh, so he can play all these different instruments. Now, uh, what was that low instrument? It wasn't a baritone sax. So I said it's probably a bass clarinet. It's, a, it's bass sax. Bass sax. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because so, um, I did think it sounded kind of like yeah. brassy in a, scent, in a way. And, I was kind of like, uh, yeah. I sent you that YouTube uh, video there too. Uh, when I was looking for other recordings by him, it, it popped up. Uh, he is also the uh, owner and uh, player of a one of the few contrabass saxophones in the world. Which, <laughs> what a monstrous uh, yeah, thing! Yeah, there's a CNN clip that goes back about 25 years uh, where he had found this instrument in a shop in Rome. Uh, Italy that was just being used as a prop they were like sticking other things inside of it and he wanted it and uh, he had obtained he bought it and had it shipped over to New York and uh, it basically dwarfed any other <laughs> saxophone <laughs> ever seen it's this huge thing and but he actually performs on that and he used it on some movie soundtracks for a Jackie Chan movie <laughs> and uh, yeah some so guy, the guy the guy he showed it to said the bell was so huge he said it could be used as a toilet a <laughs> toilet <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Some uh, cat got lost in there, too, in the video. I yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's pretty cool. I guess here he's got just his rather uh, comparatively diminutive uh, bass saxophone. Uh, but it, it sounds like a berry, but it gets a little bit deeper. Uh, so he's on all these instruments, which gives a little bit of extra charm to this recording. Uh, you got a, a mix of originals and cover tunes uh, things here. So we start with... Uh, a tune by the great trumpeter Thad Jones called Mean What You Say. Uh, this is played in a medium swing. It's got a smooth piano melody. Uh, this starts out by Mays over Wind's bouncy bass. Uh, he gets a really nice bass tone even when he goes up high. You're going to notice that about his bass playing. Mm. Uh, also, uh, from listening to this a few times, he's a bass player with masterful pitch sense. So... You know, the, you realize the bass is uh, the acoustic bass, not an electric bass has frets, but an acoustic bass is a fretless instrument. And so you've got to be spot on 
you know, where you're putting your fingers as you're walking your bass lines or doing things. And once in a while you hear some basses that are, you know, they're kind of in the ballpark for the pitch and you kind of not uh, wind. His, his pitches are always spot on so much so that he can actually play with the pitch when he wants to uh, and has that much control. And he also has this beautiful uh, tone in the upper register. It's full and clear still. Uh, then after the piano melody on this one, Robinson joins in and here he is on trumpet, on a muted trumpet. Uh, he goes around the melody uh, before he takes a swinging solo, kind of in a classic style. Uh, Wind takes a solo next. Uh, at the beginning, he quotes some Charlie Parker uh, for some fun. Uh, gets a bouncy kind of solo. Robinson returns. This time he's on tenor sax uh, for a fun solo. He gets up high. Then Mays and uh, Robinson trade off uh, with uh, Wilson on drums uh, for a little, little bit of drum spot uh, before the end. Next, we get one of Wind's uh, solo tunes, or I'm sorry, uh, original compositions, uh, Solitude. Uh, this is a melancholy piano chords that bring in uh, Robinson, this time on a smooth clarinet uh, for the melody on uh, Wynn's original ballad. Uh, Wilson keeps the drums light as uh, Wynn takes a round on the melody on the bass. Again, he impressed me with his upper register tone. Uh, Robinson takes a solo. He takes advantage of the kind of swooping kind of things clarinet can do. Uh, nice trills as well. And Mays has a kind of a pretty tinkling approach to his solo that matches the mood. And then the clarinet takes the melody out. Uh, track three is Broadway. This is a tune by uh, Wilbert H. Byrd, which was uh, often played by the Basie Band. Uh, bass and bass sax and piano share this uh, old-time melody that's kind of fun and has some stop time and swinging lines in it. Uh, Robinson swings a solo on the bass sax and he gets down really low. Uh, some honking big tones there. Uh, May has a well-constructed piano solo that connects those lines really nicely. And then Wind gets a really rhythmic solo and gets some bluesy bends on the bass too. I imagine you got to have really good finger strength to kind of bend notes on uh, those big strings. Uh, he's really spot on with his pitch, even when he plays these big intervals. Uh, so he's a real master of the uh, pitch and positioning on the bass. Uh, four, Peace Waltz. This is an original by uh, Bill Mays. Um, this one starts with some sparse chords, little descending runs that introduce uh the pretty melody of the ballad. Wind comes in with the melody on some very smooth and uh, pretty bowing. And then he gets some very cool overtones uh, with uh, the end of phrases, uh, kind of an eerie tone. Mays has uh, lovely running lines uh, in his solos on this one. Uh, Wind swings back to fingering for his solo. He covers the whole range of the instrument, high to low, really clear articulation. Uh, after some more engaging piano work. Wind brings back the bow for the ending. He digs down low and it ends up with some of those kind of otherworldly overtones uh, at the very end. Uh, next, we've got another uh, Wind original, El Precio Perduar. Uh, it's kind of a, it's a samba kind of tune, Brazilian style. I guess in Portuguese, it's it's too bad to lose or something like that and the meaning. Uh, 
it's got a piano rhythmic right hand chords that outline uh, kind of samba work against the melody in the bass and the left hand of the piano while Wilson keeps a light snare time. Uh, Robinson joins in with the bass uh, melody on tenor and then he launches into a solo and Wynn gets an exciting solo here with cool slides and moving patterns around the bass. After a repeat of the melody there's a stop time rhythmic section uh, for uh, Wilson to get some drum solo time and Robinson sneaks in a few bass sax lines in there uh, even though he's playing uh, tenor here uh, before he switches back uh, you hear those really low notes uh, in there. Uh, six is called Out in PA. I think this is about uh, a spot in Pennsylvania that uh, Wind went to. It's one of his original tunes. Uh, he bows this one for some more overtones and uh, kind of swirling rubato intro. There's a slow accented beat that develops. Robinson takes the melody on tenor sax and continues into a solo with kind of yearning phrases. Mays gets kind of funky here on this one with uh, his rhythms and also dissonances, uh, a little adventurous harmony in his solo uh, before a chiming climax. And Robinson comes back with the melody on tenor. He gets some tension going up in the high register and it breaks down for some more bass bowing over piano chords before a final melody statement. This is a one of the more adventurous and unusual arrangements uh, on the album. Uh, kind of interesting. Then we get to uh, the title track, uh, My Historian Queen, uh, mm. written for uh, Wynn's wife, Maria. Uh, it's got a really kind of cute uh, impressionist uh, uh, beginning. Uh, yeah, I'm I, sure. Go ahead. I said gymnopody, yeah. gymnopody sounding bass line from yeah. the Eric Satie gymnopody. Do yeah, a little Satie yeah. in the beginning uh, with some uh, harmonic overtones uh, that we don't often hear on bass. Uh, so a nice start there. Then Wynn gets the melody going nicely, keeping a bass line at the same time, which is mm. very cool. Uh, so he's doing multiple parts at once. The piano and drums join in lightly. Uh, while he carries on the melody with some more great upper register sounds. That bass sounds so uh, cool uh, up high. Uh, Mays plays a measured melodic solo. Robinson joins in with some breathy and pretty tenor uh, until the end. Sounds like a different player uh, here, so he can adjust his uh, tone on all these instruments to match the mood. And then we get a tune we heard before on the previous album, the Gershwin tune. There's a boat leaving soon for New York. Uh, Robinson comes back on trumpet on this one, uh, swinging the melody. Uh, Mays swings out a solo, and then uh, Robinson is up, uh, playing the start only over uh, wind before the drums and piano kick in again. And then Wilson gets some drum time uh, with some outline chords from piano and bass added in uh, to keep things measured up. Uh, there's a lot of space for in his drumming, I noticed on this whole album, he never overplays. He's kind of a restrained drummer, which is always good in a he, combo like he this. He does hit the drums hard, though, at times. Hits like, them hard. Really, really, yeah. But he doesn't hit them too much, uh, yeah. which is cool. Uh, there's a nice false ending and then a slower outro to the tune. Yeah, I want to mention this is a very different sound, uh, interpretation than yeah. the previous album. It's <laughs> like this one swings more, and that yeah. one's kind of like a more yeah. kind of very straightforward. Different. So, Which shows you how uh, Gershwin's tunes can be, you know, reinvented, interpreted uh, over and over. Like Bach. 
Like fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like we talked about earlier. Yeah. yeah. And of course, uh, 25 News in New York. Uh, we're going to end up with New York, New York. Uh, yeah. John Kander tune with uh, lyrics by Fred Ebb, made famous by the chairman of the board. It's up to you, New York. And uh, when schmoozes, there's a good word for you, schmoozes. The, do, do we uh, need to tell people who the chairman of the board is? Do we? I don't we might know. Have to. Maybe people in India won't know. They might not know. Anyway, a tune made famous by Frank Sinatra. There you go. Uh, New York, New York. I think they knew that anyway. Uh, they knew though, that anyway. Just song. in case, you know, we have, you know, if we have any, you know, people, we don't know where listeners are if you don't know uh, this tune. Uh, so when schmoozes uh, <laughs> the intro in, uh, he enjoys some bluesy licks uh, between the familiar melody phrases. Wilson tinkles some cymbal fills uh, until the loping beat kicks in and wind uh, keeps the melody going with fills and bass lines and it keeps on going right through he hits yeah. that familiar modulation uh, the yeah. outro riff they get some final flurries there's a little help from Wilson on drums but we don't need any piano no stinking piano required or sax or anything it's just wind yeah. and just drums for a little fun so it's a yeah, yeah it's all bass uh feature here he's having a good time uh, with this tune and uh, he shows off what he can do uh and uh really uh really impressive bassist uh oh like, yeah that's I really like the takeaway for me i imagine yeah. he probably has a solid classical background uh with all of his bowing technique and uh sounds like he has really strong hands uh, to pull off those tight upper right. tones and everything but uh, not just about his technique. It's classy. He's got a great jazz concept. And a nice uh, a nice group here, too. Mazes are very tasty and uh, uh, accomplished pianist. They play well together. As we said, Wilson, he's a hard hitter on drums, but he's not too busy. He leaves the space open for other things to happen. And Robinson just has all these surprises with all of his instruments. Uh, I mean, brass yeah. and woodwinds uh, and the bass sax and clarinet. Uh, it's a nice touch. It's a fun album. Uh, it's just showing off a man who's had a great career. And uh, it just makes you have fun. So it's well worth a listen. And any bass players out there, yeah, check this guy out. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, That's what I was going to say. If yeah. you like the bass, um, this is really something to hear because he has all these ways of bringing out, squeezing out a lot of uh, emotion out of the instrument yeah, yeah. with these little, just these subtle timing things. And then he'll have these vibrato, this vibrato yeah. going where you just rub your finger on the string yeah, yeah. and things like that. He's got all these little tricks and uh, it makes the bass sound warm and, you know, kind of gives it kind of character which is nice the the job of the bass is generally the basic job of the bass is to anchor the harmony right but he's yeah. doing a lot more than that and he's yeah. uh you know he's he's bringing a lot of feeling out of it it's fantastic yeah really nice to hear so i'm pretty excited you know we got two episodes of really nice albums all led where the bass player is the leader not just the guy in the back uh which is cool. Yeah. Um, because on this particular album, though, the bass player really, I guess the pianist is the star, but in a sense, the bass player is here. Like, he really stands out, you right. know, which is, is unusual. Usually they'll give the uh, melodic instruments the spotlight more yeah. often. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's nice. It's a nice balance to balance things out. And, uh, and you get to hear, um, you know, oftentimes we don't play, pay attention to the bass. It's something walking in the background. 
don't, don't most come, people yeah. don't even hear it yeah <laughs> yeah if you're listening to it on your computer speakers you won't even hear it yeah. uh and then you know the bass player doesn't oh maybe he gets one solo on a on an average album and uh occasionally you'll be surprised because he pulls out the bow for a ballad or something and that's about it um so when the bass is featured and you get players with really great technique and melodic ideas and uh, who are also you know deciding on the material uh yeah it's kind of uh, nice to focus in on what the bass can do in addition to you know the normal role as the bottom of the harmony and being part of you know that uh rhythmic drive put in a more melodic kind of role uh and having a bigger sort of uh share of the overall music can uh, make you notice it a little bit more and i think these recordings all do that uh we've got a nice balance of uh, a completely original album a completely uh you know jazz and american standard music gershwin and then wins combination of uh original and jazz standard things here uh it's a nice mix of uh, material for the bass and a lot of great musicians uh, playing together so yeah take a listen whether you're a bass player or not i think they're all uh, really good jazz recordings and i listened to them a number of times in the past few weeks once i figured out that there were some gems in there hmm well there it is there you have it. Episode 47 of Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind. It's Getting time for me to, to, episode for me 50. to get my What's rubber that? duck out and get, your rubber get in duck that out. bath with some, uh, with some uh, viola de gamba music. You got some fuzzy veals for your bathrobe. You got some bouncing bass. We're on the low end uh, yeah. of stringed instruments here. Yeah. Uh, lots to listen to. <laughs> We, we've certainly taken the class out of all the classical music tonight. Huh? <laughs> well, hopefully it's all the pretension is gone with that too. Well, that's just, what, uh, that's what I hope people I will hope interpret so, yeah. that as, you know, it's like, <laughs> just put on your records and, uh, call up your historian queen, get yeah. in the bath with your rubber ducky. And uh, I miss my historian queen. Do you had one? I'm going to have to hear this story. Yeah. yeah. Not much to tell, really. Oh, really? Right. <laughs> Hope she didn't talk too much, because... Nah, she was like... <laughs> okay. oh. And chew gum while she was talking. Right? Oh. That's kind of what I... <laughs> <laughs> She was a secretary in Manhattan, right? Oh. <laughs> I live in Astoria. <laughs> hey, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear it now. Oh, oh so boy. long ago. My God. I thought that was normal back in the day, too, oh. you know? Well... Boy. That's what happens. memories. Uh. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so, something something to remember on my deathbed one day. <laughs> well, before then, we'll have lots more uh, music to wipe out those uh, yeah. historian memories. Um, so this has been episode 47. Uh, next week, 48, getting closer to that uh, one-year anniversary and 50th episode uh, that we'll have to do something special for. But until then, uh, please do. Uh, like, subscribe on whatever app you're on. Uh, if you'd like to contact us directly, uh, our email address is Adult Music Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And uh, until next time, keep listening, and we'll see you for episode 48 next week. 
Thank you.